0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts and not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, where Mardi Gras has kicked into high gear with two weeks of parades in New Orleans, Metairie, and on the North Shore. And Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where they're gearing up to celebrate all territory. Thank you for joining us for episode 39 the last episode of our first season. Tonight, we'll be discussing the status of several of the cases that we've covered during our first season, as well as some major developments in the Jeffrey McDonald, Kevin Cooper, Larry Swearingen, and Stephen Avery cases. We'll also talk about some of the cases we'll cover in Season 2. As always, we are a live show, and calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. Hi, Michael. How are you doing?
1: Hey, it's another day in paradise, and I'm looking forward to hearing some of these, uh, some of the updates you guys are you're talking about here. Definitely, and you know, I, as we get into season two, I'm definitely looking forward to some of the cases we've been talking about covering here coming up in the second year of Clear and Convincing. Can you believe it's already been a year? Holy crap!
0: I know. Yeah, tomorrow is exactly one year.
1: Wow, so, and we've that's, done really
0: well—thirty-nine episodes.
1: Heck yeah, thirty-nine out of thirty-nine out of a fifty-two week year—that's not too bad. Mm-hmm. I'm actually surprised mm-hmm. we've taken out twelve weeks. That's surprising to me, but yeah, I'm definitely uh, excited.
0: So, yeah, so um, there's a, there's actually the last couple of days there's been a little frenzy of activity. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, right around Christmas is when it actually started. So, it's um, we'll, we'll, ready to get into all that?
1: Well, let's go ahead and dig right on in with one of our more, you know, interesting cases that we got a lot of feedback on, uh, Rodney Reed. Uh, we've done this not only on this show, but we did this over on American Idiots at one point. And I remember I was actually
2: mm-hmm. communicating
1: back and forth. If you remember the night we did this on, I believe it was American Idiots. I don't believe this was the episode we did on here. But that night we, yeah. actually, I was actually communicating back with a woman who uh, I guess is in a relationship with Mr. Reed or whatever she was. But uh, yeah. yeah, that was it. Definitely got some feedback from these episodes.
0: I know, and I was I was wanting you to send me some of that chat if you could, but you never did. So did I um, no, I, 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 I asked you. I I've had to I have had to resist the urge to reach out to Brian St. John to engage mm-hmm. in a discussion with him because he thinks Reed is innocent.
1: Okay. Yeah, definitely. So, I, but I, I haven't done to... it
0: because I don't want to. I don't want to challenge him. He's entitled to his opinion, but I would be interested in to hear what the basis of that opinion is.
1: Right. So. Right. So what's happened and with
0: Rodney? So, well, right now Rodney Reed's case is in. Uh, he has the number eight writ. It's designated as 08 on the record, which he filed in 2016. Hearings were held in the district court, trial court in Bastrop County, and the judge recommended no relief or that relief be denied. And so that writ is on appeal with the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. Uh, They can either affirm the denial of relief, Grant some relief or grant all relief. Um so, but they have not that went back in early January twenty eighteen and as of yet they have not made a decision.
1: So I was about to say it looks like he's got rents number oh eight and oh nine. Is it normal for these Correct. guys to have back to uh, back back to back appeals like this uh, or back to back rents?
0: No. No, generally not, but with Rodney Reed, Bryce Benjet is and has been for several years litigating his claims piecemeal. So mm-hmm. basically, when his DNA appeal was denied, they filed a writ with the U.S. Supreme Court seeking the U.S. Supreme Court to review Texas DNA statutes. The right. day after... The Texas Supreme Court or the U.S. Supreme Court denied the writ. He filed this O nine writ, which alleges that uh, Reed's conviction is based on false testimony from mm-hmm. Megan Clement, who's going to be our guest next week, and we will not we are not going to talk to her about Rodney Reed at all. Okay, because uh, Taryn Blakely, because she can't talk about it. Right, exactly. She can't talk about it. And she does so much more than just this Mm -hmm. one case. Um, But uh, because of the pending issues about her testimony, I just don't want to go there with her.
2: Okay. Um, That's why. And
0: so, but her testimony, they're alleging Karen Blakely, who was a, uh, a crime scene and serology analyst, with the Texas Department of Public Safety, uh, that her testimony regarding the length of time sperm can remain intact. Uh, They're Mm -hmm. claiming that that was false testimony. And they're bringing out the affidavit they got from Dr. Bayardo 10 years after Reed was convicted that they tried to use in federal court, but the federal court wouldn't even consider it. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're alleging false testimony. So, uh, and the only, and they was, made this claim in the in the '07 writ, uh, which was dismissed as successive and not meeting the criteria of the Texas statute to warrant further development of the claim. So, Basically, so in the Texas, the sorry, the court of criminal appeals. You file the writ. You file the you know. You allege the factual basis for your writ, and they determine whether you have alleged sufficient facts proven would entitle you to release. Mm-hmm. And so basically on the, on the 07 writ, which raises the same issues that was filed in 2015, the court of criminal appeals already dismissed it and said, it doesn't raise sufficient, you know, it's not sufficient to warrant further development of the claims. And these are claims He's raised prior – in prior writs with the Texas courts as well as in federal court. Okay. So, so it's highly unlikely that 09 is going to be sent back now just because they finally wrote to people and said, we want you to review this testimony. And they reviewed it, and they said, well, maybe it wasn't – and they didn't even say it was false per se. Yeah. Uh You know, they said, uh, Megan Clements said that she was testifying outside her expertise, but she wasn't really because she was testifying regarding her experience in, you know, a lab processing sexual assault kits. Right. And, you know, that she rarely sees intact sperm. Uh-huh. in her in her job um it's it's not an expert it's not a scientific it was never meant to be a scientific opinion. it was merely her experience, just like me saying uh-huh. that when it's raining, my windshield gets wet right It's an observation not it's right. not something she doesn't need a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or a doctorate in a science, to have, you know, that experience or observation of sperm, whether they're intact or not, in sexual assault kits.
1: Right, right. So basically, she just got up there and said, hey, by the way, I don't ever see this, but, you know, know, she didn't try to say it meant anything or anything. She just said, hey, this is something I noticed, and I never see anything like this. This is an oddity.
0: Well, the the issue with Reed was Reed was claiming that he saw Stacy on Sunday night, early Monday morning. Mhm. Uh, I think that would have been Sunday night, the twenty-first early Monday morning, the 20th, 22nd. And he's claiming right. that is when they got together and had sex. And what when Stacy's body was discovered at 3 p.m. on the 23rd, and when slides that were taken at the scene were examined at 11 o'clock that night, on the slides were intact sperm, which means the head and tails were still attached. Right. Um, And I think if I remember my biology correctly, when the sperm fertilizes the egg, the tail breaks off and the the head goes in, and the head carries the the DNA Mm -hmm. that fertilizes the egg. Okay. So um, they were seeing these sperm with heads and tails attached. And... There are scientific studies of finding a tax firm after 16 days, but that was in a, in a very cold environment. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they can be found up to 72 hours, but the testimony from Ms. Clement and, and Karen Blakely was basically the outside limit is about 26 hours. And after twenty six hours, they start to degrade. I mean, DNA degrades once it leaves any DNA will degrade once it leaves your body.
2: right makes sense
0: so um so that was the that's the thing i like i said i it's unlikely that they are going to return this writ to the trial court because he's raised this issue. Several times and what he obtained in support of it now is just not sufficient.
2: Okay. Because
0: DPS does not say Karen Blakely gave false testimony. And even mm-hmm. uh Bode Selmark doesn't say that my, Megan Clement gave false testimony.
1: Okay. Okay. So so What's this March ninth protest?
0: There's apparently going to be a protest on March ninth, and I'm not sure whether it. I didn't print anything out, um, and I forgot like to a, email myself. Is this like a yeah? Bunch they of
1: people getting it, protest type deal.
0: Period. Yeah, periodically okay. uh, they either meet and get together in Bastrop. Sometimes they go to Austin. And go to the Court of Appeals. Uh, This group looks like it may be in Bastrop at a park there. Mm -hmm. They look like they're a local group run by Rodney Reed's family.
1: Okay. Um,
0: So that's set for March 9th uh, in support of Rodney Reed in Bastrop. Um. And, you know, something I, I thought of today, it's funny. They claim that Bastrop Police and Bastrop County is so corrupt, and yet all of these people, I mean, Rodney Reed's house has signs on it that say Rodney Reed is innocent. And yet the Bastrop Police and the Bastrop County det- deputies have not done anything to silence this.
2: Well,
1: I mean I like they're they not that
0: corrupt, I mean, <laughs> huh? Well,
1: I mean, technically, it's a constitutional right they have to do something like that, correct,
0: yeah, but they're so corrupt, and they you know they framed Rodney Reed to protect Jimmy oh, I... funnelnell why aren't they why aren't they getting rid of anybody who supports Rodney Reed?
1: I see what you're saying. I thought you were saying they should
0: do that. They should, and they have. and no, 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 not that they they should. That if they were so corrupt, they would have, and they have not. Right.
2: hmm
0: Um. so right. the, You know, they're letting them. Like I said, they're letting them exercise their right to protest.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. There's, you know, I mean. There's been no no mysterious deaths of Rodney Reed supporters. Now, they will claim that they've been harassed and, and everything, but they've, they've never proven it. Got anecdotal claims by the attorneys. We were followed every time we were ambassador, but no, they didn't make complaints to the judge at the time. They didn't make complaints no. to the Court of Criminal Appeals. Uh, they didn't make complaints to anybody about anything, so they were gotta, just trying to win the, I for the of,
1: public
0: for sure. Right. I, I'm not a big I'm not a big believer in conspiracy and um allegations of wrongdoing where you haven't at least tried to get authorities involved.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, brought brought it to the attention to me, bringing it to the attention of the FBI or the Court of Criminal Appeals or the Governor's Office would at least in some in some measure corroborate what you're saying happened because you wrote to the Governor's Office and you said I was defending this man <laughs> in Bastrop County and I was followed everywhere I went when I was in Bastrop County and I feared for my life, okay. so. But, uh, yeah, they do that periodically. Um, we are coming up on or around the anniversary of when his last execution date was stayed. Mm-hmm. And so they are probably getting together to uh, commemorate that. Because he had a, an execution date of either March 3rd or March 1st. Of 2015, and his execution was stayed like the week before.
1: Okay. Okay. So they're getting together celebrating what they consider a moral victory?
0: Correct. Correct. Okay. And another example of Bryce Benjett's piecemeal litigation uh, strategy is after the Supreme Court denied the writ. Benjet said, Oh, well, we can file in federal court in US District mm-hmm. Court and pursue this in US di- District Court. But nineteen months later, nothing has been filed in federal district court.
1: So no DNA testing has been required or filed as far as no
0: that no request, no constitutional challenge to Texas's statutes had been filed and Actually, Bryce Benjett should know that this is not a viable option because he did it with Larry Swearingen, and -hmm. the case was dismissed. Okay. And I don't think that this circuit even granted a certificate of appealability, Or if it did, it affirmed the the dismissal. So it's not a viable option. A, A federal court cannot tell a state court, To do testing. Right. And, you know, he can challenge the constitutionality of the Texas statute in federal court. But a federal court can't even do anything about that.
2: So if they declare it
0: unconstitutional, then there's going to be no DNA testing because then the legislature is going to have to craft a new statute.
1: So then my question is, why do people file for DNA in federal court for DNA testing?
0: Because it buys them the time. Okay. It buys time. Rodney Reed was scheduled to be executed in 2015. hmm. It is 2019. He has right. more claims pending... The state of Texas cannot set his execution date,
3: okay. okay, and that
0: that is really you know sorry to say, but that is really the whole thing. to buy as much time as you can,
2: Good and point. I think they're hoping
0: Good. to swing the Court of public opinion into putting pressure on the Governor of Texas. And trying to put pressure on the Court of Criminal Appeals in Texas and the Board of Pardon and Paroles to try to get relief for Rodney Reed through outside channels rather than a judicial determination.
1: So, I mean, obviously, you know with you saying that they're just trying to buy time, uh, how do you see this playing out? Do you see the uh, state of Texas eventually carrying out the sentence? How long do you think? Like, is time running out? You know? Are we under the two-minute warning?
0: I think once the eighth writ, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals makes a decision on that and dismisses the ninth writ, I think the state of Texas will file a request for an execution date. Because remember, in Texas, uh, the execution dates are requested by the prosecutor from the trial court.
1: Okay, so it's not the governor that does it in Texas. Correct, it's It's
0: not the governor. I think in Ohio and maybe Virginia, it is done by the governor's office.
1: I'm pretty but sure in we're in Texas. Am I wrong on that?
0: You may very well be, yes, correct. Arkansas <laughs> is through the governor's office.
1: Cause I was about to say, because I know I remember when, you know, that big ballyhoo about all the uh all the uh all the guys getting, you know, executed at once, they every story led off with the governor signed an execution date for, you know, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. Correct so I correct. I was wondering. I was wondering, I think it's pretty normal for the governor. I, I thought it was pretty normal for the governor to uh, request those dates and it, well I believe actually technically it goes through attorney general uh, Rutledge's office, but I could be wrong. Correct. On the, it uh, may be
0: this. you know, like I said, different states are gonna do it different ways. Um, right. some may do it through the attorney general and the governor. And then other states may have it where it goes as in Texas it it's based on a request from the county where the trial was held to the trial court
1: right right okay
0: so so um,
1: like I said wrapping up do you think wrapping up Rodney here, do you believe that you know this if, if You know, the eight and nine are denied, and everything's taken care of on there, and they were able to uh, go ahead and request the execution date. Do you think this is pretty much, you know, game over for Rodney? Is there much else he can do besides, at that point, go into challenging the lethal injection protocol?
0: Probably not. I mean, I, I would not put it past Bryce Benjet, but I think what he's going to find is that the courts are not going to grant stays. They're just going to summarily deny the claims.
1: So the question I now have is, obviously, we've seen it in Arkansas uh, on a high-profile level. It works out with the challenge to the lethal injection protocol. What's the chances that this is the golden egg that he's going to find and he's going to be able to get his execution commuted because of the protocol?
0: Well, I don't think anybody's actually been successful as far as the, the protocols of, of any state.
1: Okay, I thought one of the – uh, the,
0: the stays, uh, that, the, that the stays like in Canada Arkansas Canada. Mm-hmm. The stays in Arkansas in 2017 were actually, one was mental impairment. Uh He wasn't competent to be executed. Uh, Stacey Johnson was uh, to pursue hearings to get additional DNA testing. Okay. And the other two, one was an accomplice, as I recall. And his sentence was commuted.
2: Okay. And the
0: the fourth one may have also been not competent to be executed. Because remember, four of those executions with the same protocol went forward.
1: Yeah, because I remember – but what I believe – I think what I'm getting confused on the protocol is actually the medication that they stayed for.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: No, nobody's been – yeah, nobody's been successful yet. Uh, so, I mean, that may be the next that may be the next avenue, but those are generally resolved fairly quickly as well.
1: Okay, so you think pretty much after this eight and nine that it'll be not necessarily clear yeah. sailing, but and the next date will stick.
0: I think that he'll probably get yeah I think he'll probably get an execution date that sticks. Okay. Uh, barring and barring a governor granting clemency,
1: which I couldn't see in this case. Well,
0: so I mean, I so, guess it's another the,
1: controversy. But maybe one of the things, the things I have to
0: yeah one of the things I have to say about the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals there's a lot of criticism and a lot of claims out there about them just rubber stamping things and you know fast lane to the death chamber and yet right. in Rodney Reed's case they have taken they took 2 years on his DNA appeal it was filed in 2015 it was decided in 2017
1: well what the, it was last week or 2 weeks ago we had the one case where the gentleman had been on death row for I want to say it was close to twenty years in Texas, and he still hasn't been uh-huh. executed. So, I mean, anybody that says that there's a fast lane, right.
0: Yeah. well, yes. no, and the thing, the thing with uh, the thing with any uh, post conviction death penalty, the longer you can keep the process going, the more years you buy. With Charles Thompson. One of the reasons is that he was granted that resentencing True. in 2000 or 2001, and then it took four years for that resentencing to go to be tried. So, So, yeah, as long long as you can keep the appellate wheels turning. And, you know, again, like I said, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals is not rubber stamping these things. They mm-hmm. took two years to decide the DNA appeal. They've—it's been a year now, and they haven't decided the '08 writ. And the '09 writ was filed six months ago, seven months ago, and they haven't dismissed it yet. So, you know, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals does have due process.
1: So, is and there any? Sometimes, there part of due process is time.
0: No, Rodney Reed, as long as those two writs are pending, the state can't seek an execution date.
1: No, what I'm saying is – Nor would it be in their interest to do so. On these two writs.
0: Well, I, um, you know, I want to reach out to the Court of Criminal Appeals and see if I can get a judge
2: mm-hmm. to come
0: on and explain the, how the Court of Criminal Appeals does it. And kind of to get an idea of how these appellate courts work. Mm -hmm. And I may also try and get a federal, a federal, you know, a federal circuit court judge because my understanding, and I I could be totally wrong, is that they actually, they get the paperwork. They don't sit in panels the way the federal district court does or the federal circuit court or the way the Louisiana state court does. They, the whole court gets everything, and then they, they read it, it's researched, and then they discuss it. Mm-hmm. And they continue discussing it until they reach an opinion, either the full court or the majority of the court with one or two judges dissenting. And with Rodney Reed, they may not have a majority right now. Okay. And so they're still they're still trying to achieve a majority mm-hmm. of the court to render the opinion. But like I said, I wanna I wanna reach out to the Court of Criminal Appeals and see if one of the appellate court judges could come on just to talk generally about the process.
1: Right, right. Not necessarily And well, maybe I'm
0: even sure see about getting about a writing. federal circuit court yeah. right. And maybe even seeing about getting a federal circuit court judge to come on at the at the same time and talk about mm-hmm. the process uh, okay to see how it goes but I, you know i think right now they're discussing it they're reviewing it they're researching it and they just haven't reached a majority to render a decision okay okay so, so they're not but they're not rubber stamping anything that's for Why? damn sure
1: Right, right. What do we got going on with Jody? I see you have direct appeals.
0: Yeah, she is, she's still crazy. Her, uh, some of her supporters are still that crap crazy. Uh, She has filed her direct appeal brief, and the state has filed its, uh, its response. Response. Trying to look for the right word for it. Yeah, they right. file a they file an appellate brief, basically. And that replies mm-hmm. to the arguments raised in Arius's brief. One of the things about Arius's brief that is kind of strange is that the majority of her complaints deal with the pretrial and the publicity during the trial. Mm hmm. And uh the publicity surrounding the trial, which is kind of not a great issue because it does not succeed. Right. Um, And then she's also uh, challenging some of the evidentiary rulings of the court, but uh, I, I don't think she's going to be successful on any of those. Um okay. and it seems like in in reading her in reading the brief, I think that like Nermy and Wilmot, her appellate attorneys are letting her drive the bus. Mm-hmm. Which is probably a big mistake.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, uh you don't want some batshit crazy person uh writing their own defense.
0: Correct. I mean, there's a duty to uh, involve your client and to act in accordance with your client's wishes, but that doesn't mean everything all the time. And there are times, I've seen it many, many, many times over the many years that I've been doing this in civil law. Sometimes you have to sit the client down and have a come-to-Jesus meeting with him and say, you need to stop doing what you're doing. You need to start mm-hmm. doing what you're supposed to do. You are hurting your own case. And if you persist in this this course of action, I can no longer represent you.
1: Right. Well, I mean, and, uh, like, and this is the first thing that I think of is uh, – was uh, watching the Wanderer. Uh, Wanda Jean Allen uh, documentary, going back to that, I mm-hmm. remember they sat her down and was like, hey, I'm going to need you to stop doing this now because you're only yeah. hurting yourself You know, type of situation. Yeah.
3: Correct.
0: So, um, Arizona, they, they've just filed the brief. It hasn't been set for argument. I don't know. I think argument was requested, but the brief. Arias' brief is 342 pages. hmm And I think the appendixes are, are bigger than that, where they have actually, they basically taken excerpts from the trial transcripts of different uh, instances where they claim Juan Martinez is mean to either witnesses or Jennifer Wilmot or Kurt Nermy or whoever. And then the state's answer brief was 180 pages. So I don't think Jody's appeal is going to be decided anytime soon. It's probably going to be a couple of three years before we get any resolution of Jody's appellate issues. Okay.
3: Okay.
1: So – with that being said, what's going on with uh, Dahlia? It looks like pretty much uh same situation. Both the briefs have been filed. Is that correct?
0: Correct. Correct. Dahlia, uh, Dahlia DiPolito's briefing was filed in March of 2018. And mm-hmm. the state filed its answer brief in August. Uh, Dahlia DiPolito's attorneys filed a reply also in August, about two weeks after the state brief was filed. Um, They did not request oral argument. And from looking at everything, it looks like the the courts of appeal in in Florida perhaps don't even do argument. Mm Mm-hmm. They don't do oral argument. Uh, But if they do, she didn't ask for it. So it'll be decided on the briefs.
2: And okay.
0: um, her her first conviction, that appeal took about a year once all the briefing was done. So, so is I'm guessing probably it's probably going to be about a year – correct. I think it's going to be probably about a year for uh, the uh, Court of uh, – the 4th District Court of Appeals filed uh, – Renders an opinion on okay. uh, Javier DiPolito's conv- conviction. I think that more likely than not, they're going to affirm it because we have to remember even though her attorneys seem to believe there was some sort of stipulation that rendered the allegation of poisoning or attempting to poison her husband to be completely inadmissible, uh, that claim came in not during voir of the jury panel, but during testimony of a defense witness for the purpose of impeachment. And I think that the 4th District Court of Appeal is going to uphold her conviction. So So, – Go ahead. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out.
2: Oh yeah. If she totally if she gets correct. another
0: reversal of her conviction, I swear the woman must have a horseshoe up her ass. <laughs> Cuz <'Cause> she's lucky.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh no, I think this I think this conviction's going to stick and she's she's serving her time. She she filed two requests to get post uh, p- appellate bond, and the Fourth District didn't review the trial court's denial of appellate bond. So she's she's gonna she's serving her 16 years right now. Right. She's on year two. Okay. Okay. In June.
1: Okay, so she hasn't even hit year two yet.
0: Correct. Her year two will start in June. Because she – well, it actually will start in October because she wasn't transferred to Lowell Correctional until October. She was in Palm Beach County Gun Club Mm-hmm. from June to – but they had – in June, July was her sentencing hearing, August was her um, motion for appellate bond. So October was the first chance that they had to transfer to Lowell. Mhm. And I think that's in Central Florida. Okay. Okay. So
1: what's going on with uh, our story, Simon? I do see that uh, there's a settled claim.
0: Right in June, and I think I may have mentioned this. There was a confidential settlement reached between Al Story Simon, Northwestern University, and David Protus. Okay. Uh, so the claims Al Story Simon filed resulting from his framing by Northwestern and Protus and Paul Cialino uh, to free killer Anthony Porter from Death Rone, Illinois, um, they have settled that claim. It's an undisclosed amount. Paul Celino's attorney was very upset uh, because she feels that they don't want the truth. hmm And that's why they settled. But, yeah, they don't want the truth of what they did coming out to the public. And that's why they okay. settled, sweetie. <laughs> they may not be admitting any liability, but um, – you know, the only truth that was going to come out was going to be egg on David Protus's face, right? Because I th- right. I think they were as as we talked about with uh, with Mr. Crawford and uh, uh, Marty Pride or Pride, um, they had done this in a lot of cases. Here's
2: okay, it. right. And
0: so I think that was going to come that was going to come out. Now, Paul Ciolino still has a defamation claim in state court against Alstory Simon and his attorneys and a couple of other entities. I'm not quite sure who they are. Um, So that that's still going on. If I hear anything about that, I will certainly um, uh, I'll report on it.
2: Okay. happened?
1: <laughs> okay, so that's the defamation you said that's still going on that uh, Correct. you're going to report? Yeah, Paul, get... Paul, Cial,
0: Paul Cialino, remember Paul Cialino was the mm-hmm. private investigator who went to Wisconsin and coerced Al Story Simon to confess to a murder that he did not commit. First, by tricking him into believing they had all this evidence against him, and then by arranging an attorney to represent Al Story Simon, who was never representing Al Story Simon's interests, and who allowed his client to plead guilty after giving a coerced confession Mm -hmm. to Paul Cialino. So um, he's he's claiming defamation – He's got himself a podcast. Um, Oh, of course he does. So, you know, and I I think he's still working on um, wrongful conviction claims. And um, so we'll, you know, we'll see how it it comes out. I just, I I think that he and his attorney are going to end up with some egg on their faces. Okay. And it's going to be public record. So they might want to rethink it and just maybe let the suit be abandoned.
1: Mhm. So. Um, yeah, that would probably be the smarter of the two options, you know.
2: Mhm. <laughs> yeah.
1: So. Okay, so who we got next? It looks like uh, Mr. Well, Henry Schiller. Skinner.
0: Yeah, good old Hank. Good old Hank Skinner. Uh, they have briefed everything on the DNA. H- Hank Skinner had additional DNA testing done, including testing of some of the hairs uh, found on Twyla, in and on Twyla Busby, body and hands, and those hairs did not exclude a relative of Twyla Bus- Busby.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Skinner wants to argue that because they don't exclude a relative of Twyla Busby, the real killer had to have been Bobby Donnell, her uncle. However, what Skinner fails to recognize or admit is that Twyla Busby had a daughter, Lisa was not at home the night that Hank Skinner murdered her mother and her brothers. And more likely than not, the hairs found in Twyla Busby's hands, which weren't visually similar to her or her son's, probably belonged to Lisa Busby. Because Lisa Busby, her hair was never visually compared to those hairs. Mm Mm-hmm. Rule her out, exclude her as a source of those hairs during the original investigation. And, you know, mitochondrial DNA, it, it doesn't mean they're from Bobby Donald. They're from anybody right. related to her mother or her grandmother or her great-grandmother or her great-great-grandmother.
2: Right, right. And,
0: and another another thing that he's still hawking is that jacket, which was like an extra large. It was like, I think he said a 40 or a 44.
2: Bobby Donald
0: is smaller than Hank Skinner was. Bobby Donald was only five feet tall. Okay. Skinner's like five three, I think, or five two.
2: Okay.
0: Skinner's, you know, Skinner's bigger than Donald. And Skinner says that would be a tent on me. Well, you know, Bobby Donald would be swimming in it too. A 44, Elwin and Randy were both over six feet tall. They were big boys, and the jacket likely belonged to one of them, and right. was hanging there when Hank Skinner beat their mother to death, and that is how her blood got on it in the way that it did, or maybe maybe Hank did put it on to try and prevent clothes from some of his uh, blood on some of his clothing. I don't know, but um you know Bobby Donnell is not was not the owner of that jacket.
2: Okay.
0: And, uh, Hmm. again, you know, we've got uh, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. Uh, It's been, I think the briefing was completed in June and August, June, July, August, around there. So, again, we may not see a decision for a year or two.
1: Okay. Okay, so once again, another example of Texas, you know, doing due process. Even though they like to the bathroom, that they
0: don't. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. It, it, that is exactly it. You know, you, you do get due process. Uh, you know, when it's your 26th writ, and it's the exact same writ you filed for 25, 24, 23, 22, 21, yeah, sure, they're going to rubber stamp dismissed on it. Right. But, I mean, now that everything is on the computer or everything, you know, the documents are available online, God bless, I love the TCCA for that. You know, Mm -hmm. I've looked at 21, 22, 23, 24, and they literally are literally photocopies of each other. They raise the same issues in the same language, same facts supporting them. You know, of course the TCCA is going to dismiss them quickly. Mm mm-hmm. hmm. Hey,
2: right.
1: Absolutely. Um, hey, we just looked at this. Why are you you know, we just denied mm-hmm. it. Come on now. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly.
1: Makes, exactly. Makes sense.
0: And uh so they and you know, they will they will send an order to the, the trial court since they don't accept anything else from this person unless an attorney is representing them. Uh, because then an attorney has a duty only to file merit claims that have merit <laughs> right but right. um but I think you know again, due process even with that, the claims still make it through over and over and over again
1: okay, so. Obviously, I know a lot of ears are about to peak, perk up at this one because everybody knows this name. But what's going on with old Scott Peterson? You don't really hear his name much in the news anymore, <laughs> but that was a huge yeah.
0: thing. His, uh, the brief The briefs on the California-like Texas kind of has a dual-track direct appeal and habeas mm-hmm. <clears throat> post-conviction process. So, basically, uh, a direct appeal brief challenging issues at trial has been filed on behalf of Peterson. The state has filed a response, and I believe Peterson has filed a reply. And then on state post-conviction, his first state post-conviction claims, which would challenge constitutional issues uh, related to his trial sentence, uh... Representation by counsel, et cetera. Uh, Those have been filed. The states responded. These are ginormous Mm -hmm. briefs. I mean, five hundred pages, three hundred pages, one hundred forty-five pages. I mean, they're they're huge. Um, And uh, California, big due process. I I don't know that we're going to have any opinion from the California Supreme Court because it's a death penalty case Uh, I don't know that we're going to have an opinion from California Supreme Court for probably a couple of years and briefing concluded in in those two cases in the summer of 2018
1: 13 years after his conviction let's be honest here if anybody truly believes you know, California is almost far as you know People, the way they categorize death, uh, you know, uh, death row cases, you know, California is pretty much the exact opposite. I pretty much gave up hope a long time ago that Scott Peterson was going to, you know, I believe their last execution in California may have been Tukey Williams. And that was what I was still in school back then. So, I mean, it's been a minute. Uh,
0: Yeah, it's it's been a while. Um, I thought there was. I thought there was another one uh, mm-hmm. because I thought they were kind of along the lines with, with Arkansas. Their last execution was in 2006. I don't know that okay. it, I, I don't know that Louisiana's had one in 15 years.
1: And, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating for us, you know, killing all these people within, you know, a matter of months of when they get convicted by no stretch. You know, I'm all for due process. I was just pointing out the fact that, you know, in California, it appears that, it appears that you're able to run out the clock a little bit better or a little yeah. bit easier. Yeah. And you can read into that so. what you will as far
0: that goes. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I mean, his direct appeal was 13 years
1: yeah. to
0: finish briefing.
1: And, and I he mean, he was convicted
0: just, in 2005.
1: Just off the top of your head, what's the average?
0: Cool. Um, well, I mean, looking at um, well, Jody Arias was about two years. A complete mm-hmm. briefing, but Jody Arias was like a five month trial. Of course, Peterson was a long trial. Yeah, yeah.
1: true, true. And so it and, it, and it
0: likely took
1: God.
0: a call. Co- I think it it took two years or or more on Jody Arias to get all the trial transcripts completed. hmm. Um, you know, Dalia Dipolito is a more. uh was a, a shorter trial and her briefing concluded within a year of her conviction. Mm-hmm. So, um, different states do it different ways. And, and a big part of appellate direct appeal is getting the trial record complete, accurate and correct. And so in Scott Peterson and Jody Arias, that took a long time.
1: Right, right. Okay. So what's going on with the whole Adnan, Adnan
0: Syed? Uh, Adnan okay. Syed. Oral arguments. Yeah. Uh, you remember the, uh, the trial court and the Court of Special Appeals in Maryland granted Syed a new trial because his defense attorney who is deceased uh, and was not available to testify, failed to contact a, an alibi witness by the name of Asia McLean who had written letters to Adnan Syed saying she saw him in the library on the day uh, Heyman Lee was murdered at about the time the state believes the murder happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state of Maryland appealed to the Maryland Supreme Court or Court of Appeals, I'm not sure how, how the Maryland courts are, are divided, but uh, at any rate, a uh, oral arguments were held on the ninth of November. They're available online at the uh, Maryland Court of Appeals website. Uh, Mm -hmm. You might find it interesting to watch them and listen to them. Okay. And just uh, the 24th of January, Adnan Syed's attorneys filed supplemental authorities based on a decision in the Alabama Supreme Court in a case that they claim is similar to Syed's.
1: So, kay. question, what does supplemental authority
0: mean? Well, that means they've they've filed their briefs, and they've argued their case at oral argument, and now a court has – another court has decided a case that they feel is what we call on point Hurt. with their case. Okay. And so okay. they're saying – they're telling the Maryland Court of Criminal Appeals, look this is what the Alabama court, uh, Supreme Court said on this ident- identical issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know, honestly, that an Alabama court is going to have a lot of sway in Maryland. It is possible, but not likely in my estimation. Um, and so we'll have to see how that goes. Um, and I have not read the case, the Alabama case to even determine whether it is really on point or whether it's distinguishable, meaning Mm -hmm. is it really, is it really on point with Adnan Sayed's case or is it totally different circumstances. Okay. So um that that's if we do a follow up on Syed, I'll have read that case by then. Okay.
2: Right on. Well definitely And so we're we're just waiting for mind. the
0: Yeah and and we're just waiting for the Maryland Court of Criminal Appeals to give to render their opinion. It's all in their hands whether to uh affirm Syed's grant of a new trial or to reverse and uh sign for the state. Okay. Okay.
1: So well Lisa, we got about a minute left before we uh before we head to break. So let's go ahead and take the break here and when we come back we'll finish Perfect. up these uh minor details and then we'll get into the big ones okay yep perfect standing well ladies and gentlemen you're listening to clear and convincing we'll be right back Yes, ma'am, we sure are. Well, I, and I mean, there's been a lot of these cases we've covered. It's crazy. I don't know if you counted them up, but I mean, there has been a ton of developments in these cases since the last time we talked mm-hmm. about them. I'm surprised how many of these cases have just changed so much since the last yeah. time we talked about it. But definitely no. glad we're doing this uh, last episode here.
0: Yeah, Definitely. And, you know, there were a lot, like Liddell Lee, uh, Christopher Young. You know, those, Kenneth Foster, there weren't any developments. There haven't been any changes in those, so I I didn't even go into those. Well,
1: I was about to say Liddell Lee at this point is almost a mute point.
0: Yeah, moot,
1: M-O-O-T, moot, moot. Moot.
0: I'm sorry, that's one of my pet peeves. And I've worked with attorneys who use it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you're fine. I thought I thought it was honestly. I wasn't sure whether it was mute or moot, so I'm gonna say mute just because I thought it was. You know, hey, they're muted. <laughs>
0: Sorry. So, you're by the fine, way, would fine. you like to come down to New Orleans and go to Bopas with me? I've got well, a, t- an extra it. ticket to the Bopas Ball on Sunday night. Let's you could sleep on my could
1: couch. If I time off work, I would be there in a minute. Cause what? It's like eight hours.
0: It starts well. It's it's like twelve hours. It starts at noon. I'm not going at noon, cause I got a long. I got a you know evening gown dress. So I'm probably mm-hmm. going to go about six o'clock.
2: Mhm.
0: Open bar till midnight.
1: Dear I Lord, have an extra ticket and the... I
0: don't want it to go to waste. you trying to get me <laughs> to call
1: into work when you say open bar till midnight.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh,
0: Lord. So, but you've got your thing. Well, you've got your thing Tuesday night. You can even do the show from here and leave Tuesday morning.
1: There we go. I totally could, Kitty. <laughs> no, I don't think my boss would I don't think my boss would appreciate me uh calling in sick anymore. The past two weeks I've had to call in every day at least oh, once every day. Yeah. Oh, so, Yeah, my
0: oh, well, well, too happy. if you know any supernatural fans and listeners uh-huh. if you know any supernatural fans send me a message on Facebook. If they're in New Orleans even better. Because then they have some place they can go when we're done. Um, I do have an extra ticket and I'm looking for a date to the Bacchus Ball. Jensen Ackle okay. is the king of Bacchus this year. Oh, and
1: okay. So, oh, uh, what's his name? Dean or whatever from Supernatural? Dean,
0: exactly. Yeah. Dean on Supernatural.
1: Oh, Lord. As but a that tall, good looking you know, man. I, I was about to say, I better not say that too loud. My girlfriend might come out here and be like, ooh, I'm going to New Orleans. I'm going to go marry him. Hey, that's
0: Jackson, perfect.
1: Jackson
2: <laughs> he's
0: already married. And he's oh, got well, children, yeah. and he's a great dad. But, yeah, your girlfriend, my, my, can she come down?
1: My, I think she may she may have to work, but I think she'd probably <laughs> be more than happy to wreck that household. <laughs>
0: Um, (laughs) Oh Lord. Okay. Well, anyway, so anybody listening, got an extra ticket. If you live in New Orleans, even better. Um, But yeah, I don't want it to go to waste because my boss got it for me and (laughs) he probably had to call in some favors and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to waste that ticket.
2: Yeah,
1: definitely. Hit hit us up on Facebook. If you hit me up on Facebook, it's easy to find me, but uh, if you hit up the page or something, I'll be more than happy to uh, forward your message on to Lisa, and hopefully we can get somebody somebody uh, set up with that, because Lord knows, that man has a lot of female fans.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm I'm going to post on Facebook and Twitter tonight okay. and see if I get any okay. take. I have I have one friend on Facebook who's in Oxford, Mississippi. And I would love, she and I would have such a great time. I've got another one in Georgia. Two others in Georgia. Oh. Either, any any of those three women, oh, my God, it would be hilarious and fun. So, And they can sleep on my couch. Um, I would hey. give them my bed, but I can't sleep on the couch because of my back.
1: All I'm saying I is can't sleep on said, the couch. I, be, I just
0: won't be able to walk.
1: <laughs> you better watch how you hang out with uh, with uh, old Dean from Supernatural. We may be talking about your case on here in a couple of weeks if you don't watch out. <laughs>
0: oh, no.
2: <laughs> Dean from
0: Supernatural. Oh, no, no, dude. Nothing? No, 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 no. No, <laughs> I would not. His wife is probably going to be there watching him like a hawk. Okay.
2: <laughs> and she's appeared on the show, and she's
0: probably done some fight scenes on the show. So I don't want to mess with that. <laughs> yeah,
1: true. True. He's cute. She, she he's maybe 13. To her man.
0: He's he's 13 years younger than I am, but I'm is like she? my grandmother. I uh-huh. yeah, because I I'm 54. And, and he nine. just turned he just turned forty one. I'm old enough to be Is your you mama. Real? I
1: thought yeah. he was younger than that. I thought he was in his like thirties. Yeah. That man ain't well he, he was he
0: was until last year.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: that man ain't eighty Eight. he was in his twenties then. That ain't even fair.
0: No, I know. It's not. <laughs> oh,
1: At all. Lord. We yeah. have totally gotten off on on a side <laughs> road talking about being from supernatural. We don't have to start a supernatural podcast now. <laughs>
0: exactly. Well, I, I could start reporting on what happened on the last episode of Supernatural. You know, Uh-oh. we could take a we can carve a few minutes out of the show for that.
1: <laughs>
0: there,
1: there we go. We can we can do that in the Dancing with the Stars report.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, well, I'm going to be missing the Monday night show the first week of the month. So, but I can watch it on demand. That's okay. Um, yeah, of
1: course. And so you
0: ready to ready to get ahead. back to work? <laughs> Let's
1: go ahead and get back <laughs> on Stacy. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't want to run out of
0: time for the big developments. Yeah,
1: definitely uh, not. Stacy
0: Johnson. So she... Mhm. In uh, I think it was. May of last year, the uh, trial court, additional DNA testing was done in 2017. He, Johnson filed a claim in the trial court trying to get a new trial based on the DNA testing results. And the trial court denied his request for a new trial. So now that is on appeal. Our friend Bryce Benjet from the Innocence Project has now joined Johnson's defense team.. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
0: so at some point we may have a consensual relationship with Carol Heath, uh, but when he left, she was alive, and her boyfriend must have found out and he killed her. that's uh, oh, going on. <laughs> but uh, the briefs have all been filed. The Arkansas Supreme Court will be setting the case for oral argument Uh, sometime in the future. It has not been set as of this date. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, that one's another one that I'm going to be watching. Uh, I love Arkansas, too, because now you are finding that a lot of their county courts and the Supreme Court are online. And including briefs, which is wonderful because you can get access to them for free without making clerks crazy.
1: Well, good. Way to go,
0: Arkansas. Yeah. Welcome to the 21st century. Um, I think Louisiana may be moving in that direction as well because they are started with electronic filing in the circuit court.
2: Good. And some of the trial yeah. courts
0: have have documents available now too. Which I don't think Court of Criminal Appeals in New Orleans does though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so we're so we're done with Darley uh Stacy Johnson. Uh once oral argument is set, I will definitely announce it. And then we can, you know, talk about the case again once the Supreme Court decides Stacy Johnson's case once and for all. And then Darlene Routier, uh, there has been DNA testing in progress. The results are still under seal, so we don't know what they are. Um, Nothing much else is really going on publicly in her case. We're just waiting for the test results to be... I guess they won't become public until they're litigated in the uh, Dallas County Trial Court.
1: Okay. Sounds good. So, so now let's get in the real meat and taters here, the uh, real mm-hmm. updates, so to speak. Uh, let's start out with Jeffrey McDonald. Uh, what's happened with him?
0: On December – I think it was the 21st of 2018, yep. the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeal, after – a little bit over a year affirmed the district court's denial of a new trial, habeas corpus relief, to Jeffrey McDonald on his claims of uh, Brady violations and cumulative error and DNA that exonerates him. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the crux of McDonald's argument was there were three Unsourced hairs found in uh, two places, I believe, in Kimberly's room, and then one found in fingernail scrapings from Kristen's hand. Although certain whether the hair was actually in her in the scrapings, or whether it was there as a result of some con- contamination between 1970 and 19. 19- Uh, 99 or so when the evidence was sent for testing. Um, Okay. And these unsourced hairs were not similar to one another. In other words, each unsourced hair had a different nuclear or mitochondrial profile. I believe it was mitochondrial DNA. One okay. of the hairs that was tested that was found in Colette's hand, and which McDonald's attorney at trial, Bernie Siegel, said was hair from the person who killed her, was found to be or was found to have the same mitochondrial DNA as Jeffrey McDonald and therefore did not exclude Jeffrey McDonald. Okay. And that's the hair from Colette's hand. Of course… McDonald's attorneys argued that, oh, the hair just got there when he was checking on her trying to save her life, whereas on all of his prior appeals, it was a hair from the person who killed her, and that's why he wanted to test it. So uh, he – his his denial of relief was affirmed by the Fourth Circuit. He did file a request for rehearing saying that the Fourth Circuit didn't – Uh, follow the right standard in considering his claims but that was denied as well on the 19th of February so uh, he's not going to get a rehearing now he probably more likely than not is going to try and file a writ with the U.S. Supreme Court okay um and that, he has 90 days to do that. So, if it's going to happen, it won't happen until probably, probably. the middle of May. I was yeah.
1: about to say, summertime, getting in that area?
0: Yeah, well, and and if it's filed in May, um, more likely than not, we won't know whether they're going to take it or not until October, because I think they break in June. Okay. So um, it'll it'll be a while before we find – now, in in the U.S. Supreme Court, I don't know if people are familiar, what happens in the U.S. Supreme Court, it's it's not an appeal of right. It's Mm -hmm. discretionary. So what you do with the U.S. Supreme Court is you file a writ of certiorari asking them to hear your case. And the writ essentially tells them why they should hear your case. Okay. They either, and generally the the other party, the opposing party, files a response or an opposition to your writ. And then you can file a reply. And then the U.S. Supreme Court meets and the justices determine whether or not they're going to take it or they're going to hear it and then they issue you know a, a whether they deny or whether they grant the writ if they grant the writ then the merits of the case are presented in briefs and eventually oral argument but again so, the us supreme court now has all their records online so we can get access to everything and um it's it's a great thing to have Such easy access and free access.
3: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Well, Lisa, I don't know if you've ever seen the old uh, HBO show Deadwood, but this gentleman has my absolutely favorite last name because of that show. Uh, There's a character on there by the name of Al Swearingen, and uh, now Mr. Larry has officially got my favorite last name for a criminal.
0: Oh, no. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Larry Swearingen, I don't know if you remember, in last January, I believe, 2018, uh, Mm -hmm. there was a a little scheme between Larry and a guy by the name of Anthony Shore who was about to be executed for several murders he committed in Harris County, Texas, which is next door to Montgomery Uh County. And uh, Larry Swearingen.
2: Right.
0: right. Larry Swearingen and Shore initially had worked out a deal where Shore would take credit for Melissa Trotter's murder and exonerate Swearingen. Okay. Shore apparently decided not to do that. And at some point in time, documents were discovered in his cell in Larry Swearingen's handwriting with. Details and information about Melissa Trotter's murder. Of oh, course, wow. innocent explanation. Larry Swearingen said, "Well, I, I had access to all these things from my files, uh, so it doesn't mean anything." But um, that uh, Shore's execution was put on hold. Swearingen's was put on hold because of a clerical error in the timing of the warrant. Mm-hmm. And so, shortly after this occurred, the state of Texas agreed to limited DNA testing. Okay. Of evidence in Swarigan's case. So, most of the aging evidence was sent to the crime lab, but Mm -hmm. no male DNA was recovered from it. Okay. And cigarette butts that were found near Melissa Trotter's body were traced back to the hunters who had found her. And they did say they smoked while they were waiting for the cops to come. Um, so everything that wanted tested has been tested. And the results okay. do not help Larry Swearingen. And one of, the, one of the items tested was the pantyhose that were found in, um, I think, a trash bin outside Swearingen's vacated trailer Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: that were matched to the pantyhose used to Strangle Trotter. Um, His DNA was found on those pantyhose, on that half of the pantyhose. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So that does not, that really doesn't help him because that links him part of the murder weapon. Okay. Uh, and as we know, Bryce Benjet has been involved in this case as well. Uh, he is apparently thinking about filing a um, claim regarding the cell tower data because part of the evidence against Swearingen was a cell call that he placed routed through a cell tower near the road where Sam Houston National Forest was located. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So it looks like they may, more likely than not, they're going to go ahead and file something in the trial court seeking a new trial because his DNA was not found on any of the evidence. Uh, of course, no oh, yeah. male DNA was found on any of the evidence, so that doesn't do a lot for him. Um, and I think he's going to have a a problem with the pantyhose
2: mm-hmm.
0: because some of his DNA was found on it, and no DNA from Trotter. Right.
2: Um,
0: so, and again, you know, they they are probably going to file a writ on the cell phone. But they probably will not file these things until Montgomery County requests an execution date. And then they'll file. Okay. Even though he knows now, on February 5th, this is the date of the article, uh, he knows that he's got these claims, but he won't file anything until Montgomery County asks for a, an execution date because that's how Bryce Benjett works. But of course We're know, throw he he files stuff to delay uh right. he doesn't you know he he doesn't uh file stuff expeditiously as soon as he knows about it uh he either files it to delay or he files it at the last possible moment when um time is about to run out on him right so right. Uh, <clears throat> so we'll have to see uh. Montgomery County records on online, but it'll eventually, once it goes to the trial court, and then it'll be at the TCCA again. So mm-hmm. we'll have no timeline on that happening. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So
1: what's going on with Mr. Cooper?
0: Kevin Cooper, literally yesterday, everything changed.
1: Oh, wow. Oh yeah, Yeah, um, literally
0: yesterday. On December 24th, uh, you remember uh, Cooper submitted an application for clemency and additional DNA testing and an investigation to Governor Jerry Brown, who was about to leave office after elections this November. Right. Uh, That that petition was actually submitted in February of 2016. But it okay. lay dormant, and then on december twenty fourth Governor Brown ordered limited testing uh, and the items that he ordered to be tested were uh the hatchet, and uh oh, I lost it, darn it uh he ordered. I think it was four items, the, the T-shirt, the hatchet, and um, one other item, and I can't remember what it was. Well, that wasn't good enough for Cooper. Uh, he's all, He also appointed a special master to oversee the testing process. And um, okay. so... Uh, That wasn't enough for Cooper, so Cooper wrote an editorial and asked Governor Newsom, who just took office, to order additional DNA testing as well as an investigation. And yesterday, Governor Newsom issued an executive order that added five things to the items to be tested. Now, one of the problems I have with this One of the items added was untested hairs collected from the victim's hands and the crime scene. But those hairs were tested in 2004, and those hairs were found to not exclude the victims. There was no unsourced hair found in 2004. So this was probably based on Cooper's claim that hairs have not been tested when they have. He just doesn't like Um, the results. Okay. Uh, Governor Newsom also ordered testing on the blood vial VV2, which is held at San Bernardino County Crime Laboratory. Uh, The reason he's requesting testing on that is because when Terry Melton, who performed the mitochondrial DNA testing on the hairs, uh, reference card prepared from the blood in the vial of VV2, Uh, she found two mitochondrial DNA profiles. Mm -hmm. Cooper is alleging that that indicates that VV2 was tampered with and blood was put back into the tube from somebody else in order to make it look like no blood had had been withdrawn from the tube. However, the problem with that is that Terry Melton had multiple instances where she found two mitochondrial DNA DNA profiles on other evidence that she tested. And she actually listed instances of contamination with regard to that evidence.
2: In her lab.
0: So uh, so the, the two mitochondrial DNA profiles May not be because there was actually two, you know, there were two sources of DNA, but may have been because there was some contamination in her lap. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's also ordering testing of blood drop A41, which was on that paint chip that was found on the wall outside the master bedroom near Jessica Mm -hmm. Ryan's body. Uh, He's ordered fingernail scrapings collected from the victims. I believe that they did attempt to test those in 2002 and didn't recover any DNA from those scrapings. Okay. It's possible, current methods could recover DNA now, I don't know. And then there was a green button found in the uh, lease house where Cooper was hiding out prior to the murders. And um, that uh, did not yield any DNA when it was tested in 2002. So basically, Uh Cooper's getting testing on items he claims were never tested, where all but one was actually tested. Okay. Uh, Newsom uh, did leave in place the appointment of Judge Daniel Pratt who is retired as a special master to uh, oversee the testing.
1: So he's taking advantage basically of a governor who's not familiar with the case at this point.
0: I believe, I, I think that is exactly correct. Okay. I think he did. He, he submitted that. I mean, he makes a good argument and he claims things weren't tested, but that, is, you know, anybody who looks at the record would have seen that those items were tested. Now, again, they were tested and didn't yield DNA. It is possible that they could yield DNA now. Mm
2: -hmm. But
0: I I promise you, I I have no doubt in my mind, if the button has anybody, any of the Ryan's blood on it, or has Kevin Cooper's blood on it, he's just going to say it was planted.
1: Right. Absolutely. Because he's never going to admit, okay, well, yeah, you got
0: me this time. If his DNA is in the fingernail scrapings, he's going to say they were planted.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the good things, though, is the defense has actually gone out and gotten a DNA sample from Lee Furrow. Okay. So they will have a reference sample from Lee Furrow to conclusively exclude him. Okay. And they'll ignore that, but at least that will be out there.
1: Right. Right. So, uh, obviously, you know, that kind of changed the game, but we got another one that was you know the game was changed yesterday uh with Stephen Avery what well, happened, uh, you yesterday? know
0: I, I I don't think that the the game has changed that much
2: uh-huh.
0: um basically, what happened was uh back in i think it was December, Kathleen Zellner filed a request with the uh court of appeals in Wisconsin which is deciding the denial of relief uh, or is is hearing an appeal of the denial of re- relief for uh Avery's uh from the trial court in Avery's post conviction claims
2: Mhm
0: uh and so Kathleen Zellner, even though any any and all the testing should have been done before she ever filed the first writ. Okay, she claims the state agreed to testing and then she doesn't appear to have tested anything. She brought the cameras with her and filed the writs. Then after the judge denied the first writ, she filed an appeal, and then right about the time her appellate brief was due, she files a motion with the appellate court to stay the appeal and remand the case to develop new issues related to a CD. That, the court did a limited remand. It went back to the trial court. Trial court denied it. It went back on another appeal To the Court of Appeals. Lo and behold, in December, days before her brief is due, she files a motion to remand to test bones found in the quarry adjacent to the Avery Salvage property that were, they weren't able to determine whether they were human or animal. They weren't able to get any DNA from them because they had been burned. And so she wants to test those bones because she her, her strategy is to test those bones. If they belong to Teresa Hallback, she's going to claim Teresa was murdered off Avery property, and then some of her bones were planted in Avery's burn pit. Now, okay. this ignores Brendan Dassey's statement that Stephen Avery moved bones around, them out of his burn pit, he put some in Dassey's burn barrel, and he put some over on the quarry property. So if she finds bones in the quarry property, she's gonna be corroborating Brendan Dassey's statement. Right. Okay? Well, then the appellate court denied her request to stay in remand because DNA testing is not part of the appeal before it. And so there's no need to, you know, remand the case to the circuit court for DNA testing Uh, because that's not part of the appeal that she filed. They set a new deadline for her appellate brief and lo and behold, on January twenty fourth, she files yet another request to remand because she's alleging a Brady violation because the state apparently returned some bones to the Hallbach family. Now is that wrong? I have read the report that she bases her claim on and I don't see any indication in that report of What bones were returned to the Hallback family?
2: Uh huh.
0: Um, She uses terms like "may have," and it is believed that. So she doesn't even have uh, clear and convincing evidence that any bones. Or, Or yeah, clear and convincing evidence. That the quarry bones were returned to the Hallbach family, uh, but she filed a request to send it back to the trial court to develop a record on it. And in this particular case, because it alleges Brady violations and violation of uh, Youngblood versus Arizona, uh, as well as Wisconsin's as evidence preservation statutes, uh, the uh, court of appeal. Did remand to develop it, mhm so um that is going to go back to the the court of appeal. They just ordered that yesterday on the remand okay. so um it's likely more likely than not I think the other remand the the judge the judge wasn't playing around. Mm-hmm. It was briefed, and she she you know rendered an opinion within I think ninety days. so I don't think this is going to be that long, but again, you know, Zellner is not only um also piecemeal litigation, mhm, but she's also putting inaccurate information out there. Having the circuit – the Court of Appeals remand this issue to the trial court is not a win for Avery. Right. Because she still has the hurdle of, A, proving that the quarry bones she wanted to test were destroyed, B, proving that there was bad faith in that destruction, C, proving that the quarry bones are material and these were bones that were not used at trial. Mhm. They were bones that were tested and did not yield DNA with the methods that were available at the time so right uh, and then proving that the destruction had an impact on Havery's trial well she she's not going to be able to prove that because these bones. Were not used, and she can't claim that the attorneys didn't know about them because they were tested, and the attorneys knew about them. Okay. So um, you know, I she's 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 playing this as a win, and it's really not. It's mm-hmm. just a procedural. It's a procedural victory. Sure, I'll give her that but it's not a win by any stretch of the, the imagination for uh, Avery because it's not a merits issue. You know, a win would be the court of appeal deciding his actual appeal, which would require her to file her actual brief. And, you know, again, to me, maybe it's just me but I find that when you have a brief due and all of a sudden you're raising new issues and trying to get a case sent back that tells me that you're not on the ball with your brief. Right. Or you don't have a lot of confidence in your chances of success on those issues and so now you're trying to bring up new ones that you might be successful on but you know again she's going to she's got a lot to prove and she bears the burden of proof on these claims the state does not have to prove anything you know the state mm-hmm. can get up there and and produce the pelvic bones that she said she wants to test now she's probably going to make an issue about the bones any bones being returned to Hallbach's family but i dare her to go into Wisconsin and try and cast aspersions on the police for at least returning something to Teresa Halbach's family.
1: Right. That makes no sense. I mean, if
0: they returned, if they returned bones that had been subjected to testing, didn't yield any DNA, but were were determined to be human, and were found with bones that by what little remaining tissue was there, were determined. And that may be what they did. They may have only returned bones from the burn pit. Right. But in the process of of gathering bones to return, they examined everything. And, that, you know, the state, whoever did the examinations will have a chance to get up there and explain uh, why they did what they did. And like I said, I I dare her to cast any aspersions on them for at least returning something to Teresa Halbach's family. Uh-huh.
1: And if the pelvic
0: bone and the quarry bones that she wanted to test are there, she's going to have some serious egg on her face. Right. Because right. so she's making much, right. much ado about nothing.
3: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Well, Lisa, that's uh, that's pretty much all she wrote for our updates. Uh, go ahead and let everybody yeah. know what they can look forward to in the uh, future coming up, especially starting with next week.
0: Right. Well, I think I think we talked about uh, last week, and we talked a little about it before we went on the air. I think one of the things we're going to do, um, we are going to be looking at Edward Edwards, but it's going to take me a little while to. Finish Come that through. and to um uh I, I wanna go ahead and read Edwards' book. Okay. The things I do the things I do for you, Michael. Ha,
2: ha, ha. But some oh, of the
0: hey. some of the cases <laughs> some of the cases we can look forward to um over the next couple of weeks. I think we're gonna look at Stacy Castor. Uh, That's a case out of New York. She poisoned two husbands. Oh, wow. And when it was discovered that she poisoned husband number two, and they exhumed husband number one and discovered that he had also been poisoned, she tried to overdose her daughter and wrote a suicide note purportedly from her daughter confessing to murdering her father and stepfather.
1: Dang, she's just all about poisoning, folks.
0: Yeah. And uh, I'm going to reach out to the detective in New York who investigated the case and who really, really stuck by because initially Cassar's information would have led to the conclusion of suicide mm-hmm.
2: had the detectives
0: not really been on the ball. Okay. Um, so I want to kind of try and line up one of the, te- the detectives. Um, Castor was, of course, convicted in the death of her second husband, and of uh, some fraud charges related to his estate, and um, she died in prison in 2016. But her case is okay. purely circumstantial, and so I think it's a good, it's a really good example of a strong circumstantial case.
1: Okay. Sounds like a blank. And then
0: Richard Glossop, who is in Oklahoma, uh, he was convicted of arranging the murder of his boss, who was about to discover his theft from the motel business. And he's mm-hmm. been on death row in Oklahoma. There was a lot of, uh, of brouhaha about his execution in 2015. Uh, he got a stay, and he remains on Oklahoma's death row. And the case hasn't moved anywhere since then. And then I think looking at Clayton Lockett's execution, uh, because there was a lawsuit by his family uh, arising from that, the Manson case. And then another case I'd like to look at is uh, Antoinette Franks and uh, Rogers Lacaz. That's a Mm -hmm. murder that happened in New Orleans, and I remember that because I, a friend of mine, knew Ronald Williams, who was the police officer who was killed. Okay. And so I'd like to look at that case. And um, then next week, and remember, program notes, we are going to be on Monday night, March 4th, rather than Tuesday night. Because Michael Mm -hmm. has a conflict with Tuesday night. He has a live show with uh, ASWF, and do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Well, yeah, we're going to be doing the uh, show if you're in the Central Arkansas area, or heck, if you're even in Arkansas, because everybody knows where Hot Springs is. Come on out to Rumors Bar and Grill. We're going to have our own little Mardi Gras party uh, next Tuesday, and uh, we're going to have our professional wrestling show. Uh we're gonna start at eight PM and uh feel free to come on out, invite your friends. It's a great uh it's a lot of great fun. It is twenty one and up, so make sure to leave the kiddos at home, but uh you're good to go after that pretty much.
0: All right, well good luck with that. Let me know how it goes. Uh so okay, our show Monday awesome. night we're gonna be talking <laughs> Monday night we are gonna be talking to Megan Clement. She is a forensic scientist and DNA analyst. Uh, mm-hmm. Megan has been in law enforcement for started about thirty-one years ago, or thirty years ago. Uh, she has worked with the major DNA testing facilities in the country, um, Roche Biomedical Lab Corp and Selmark. and these are the companies that when the defense wants testing or when the state wants uh, their results confirmed, you know, LabCorp and Selmart and Roche Biomedicals were the companies that performed DNA testing. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we'll have to get Ms. Clement to uh, uh, kind of educate us on this fact. I think it was those companies that actually – developed DNA testing in the U.S. And this Clement was involved in some of the validation studies that were done and, and the early research of technologies. So she has been, you know, on the front lines, on the ground, in the field of DNA for many years. Uh, so we're okay. going to be talking to her. It's going to be a general – it's not going to be about any specific case. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be more a general discussion of DNA testing, the equipment that you need, uh, the timing of things, the steps that you do. You know how do you recover DNA from evidence, and, and those kind of general topics.
2: Okay,
0: it's not going to be about a specific case. Although i i have I have requested, I've given her some some tampering contamination planting scenarios that I found to you know have her say whether this could have been done that way or not. Okay. Uh, okay. but without referring to a specific a specific case. Okay. Heck yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to that, too. I've been looking forward to it since you first told me about it, so I'm pretty excited.
0: Great. So, all right, we ready to do the outro?
1: Let's go ahead and get her done.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and you want to know more, you can find us on Facebook, Go to our blog at clearingconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien Join us next week for the first episode of Season 2 of Clear and Convincing. That episode will air on Monday, March fourth, 2019 at 8 p.m. Central. We'll be talking about DNA evidence with Megan Clement, a forensic scientist with more than 30 years' experience in serology and DNA testing. Ms. Clement has held several director positions with Roche Biomedical, LabCorp, and Cellmark. Ms. Clement is a member of the American Academy of Forensic Scientists, the Sciences, the Southwest Western Association of Forensic Scientists, and the ASLD-LAB Biology Proficiency Review Committee. She's also been certified as a molecular biology diplomat by the American Board of Criminalists. She's been qualified as an expert by courts in 33 states as well as by military and federal courts. Until then, everyone have a great week. Stay safe. Good night.